Hey, good morning. Um, yeah, hope. Hope is a wonderful thing, isn't it? I'm going to do a message next Sunday, by the way, called The Power of Hope. So uh, let's open our Bibles today. First John 5, verse, uh, verse 21. First John 5, 21. First John 5, 21. A little bit of review from last time, which kind of brings us into our verse today. Uh, we talked about three certainties of the Christian faith. The first one, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. They don't continue to live in this habitual pattern uh, of sin. And it really, it's a proof of our relationship with God, that we know him. And, and, but not only that, it says in the verses that he'll help us. And he'll keep us safe and he'll protect us from the evil one. Uh, the second thing John says, we know that we are children of God. We know that we are children of God. That we belong to him. That God is our father. And, and it's uh, very different from the world. The world, it says, uh, is under the control of the evil one. But we are not under the control of the evil, evil one. We are now uh, children of God. Of the Almighty God. And then, and then the third thing he says there in that passage was, We know that the Son of God has come. This was a, again, these are these certainties, these rock solid certainties that we know that we have. We know these things. We know that the child of God doesn't continue to sin. We know that we are children of God. And we know that Jesus has come. The Son of God has come. How can you tell anybody else about Jesus if you don't really know that? Jesus has come. And he's given us, it says, he's given us understanding that we may know him, the true God in eternal life. So that brings us to today to uh, verse 21. This is the last verse of 1 John. How many years? First John chapter 5, verse 21, the last verse of First John. Jim has the date for us, and he'll give it to us in a minute. Uh, says, dear children, very simple, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. Isn't that kind of a strange way to finish the letter? kind of odd like why are you what does that have to do how does that fit in well the the very verse before it's talking about you know God and it says that you know Jesus he's talking about Jesus is that he is the true God and eternal life and that's kind of the context there the true God eternal life and so he finishes with with this and he says dear children keep yourselves from idols in other words, false gods. There was a lot of uh, false worship, false teaching that was going on. Warren Wiersbe says this, An idol represents that which is false and empty. And a person who lives for idols will become false and empty. In other words, we become like what we worship. But I got these... 
this definition for you. But let me, let me just point this out. The NLT translates this verse, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. That's really what an idol is. He takes God's place away in our hearts. But this definition, it's an image or representation of a God used as an object of worship. A person or thing that is greatly admired, loved, or revered. The object of extreme devotion. So I know what you're thinking, like, what does that have to do with us? What does that have to do with me? Well, it's a lot. Because, as uh, that verse said in the NLT, anything that takes God's place in our hearts is an idol. And John says here, keep yourselves from idols. Now, we kind of have two different categories. We have ancient idolatry, right? Well, let me call it ancient idolatry. And then we have sort of modern idolatry. This ancient idolatry is what you and I would, would think when we think of idolatry. We think of these statues, right? And these images that people would go and bow down before, right? And we, we don't see that a lot in our country, but, but it does happen. One of my neighbors, as a matter of fact, uh, they have a whole shelf. It's like a whole cabinet there, and, and, and uh, they're from another country. And they have, uh, you know, a statue there and they have incense, you know, that are being burned and candles and that. And you kind of walk by the house at night. You can see these red lights, you know, lit up around this little statue. And I, I asked the person, I said, it's like, what is that? And there's like a real communication gap. So I couldn't get like the, uh, the English, but she said some kind of a word. And, and I said, like, like God? She said, yeah, yeah. And she goes like this. So it's still going on in that. And, and you think about places like India, right? India? How many gods are in India? Thousands more, like millions. Some say, some say 33 million. Some say 333 million gods. And, and, and we've been there. And you, you can see on the corner, there's a, a little, you know, kind of a... Uh, what do you call that? Uh, it's a setup there, and there's a, you know there's idols in there, and people come and they bring fruit and they bring you know food and put it there in front of the idol in front of uh, that and, and bring their worship to it. So that's kind of still happening around, all around the world, even here in our country. So we say, well, I don't do that. So you know why would I even think about a message of keeping myself away from my doll? I don't have any statues in my house. But then you start to think about modern idolatry and, and you think about our culture and you say, you know what? It does affect me. It does affect us. And as a matter of fact, the things that make up modern idolatry, the list is like long. It's a long list of things. I don't know. Can you think of anything in our country that we worship? Comfort, yeah. Money. We love our money. Pride, cars, yeah. iPhone. I, <laughs> iPhone. There you go, right there. Sports figures. 
You know, we have, we have so many things that we worship, and we, we don't call it that, but it is worship because this devotion, something that is greatly admired, admired, loved, or revered, the object of extreme devotion, materialism. We are, are you know, the God of materialism. Entertainment. Relationships. Self. I think some, some say that that's, that is the God of our society is self. That we worship at the altar of self. And that's probably true to some degree, I think. You know, um, back in 1987 or 1997, a couple of people wrote a few things. It says a Frenchman once commented that Americans have three idols. Size, noise, and speed. He said worship runs in the opposite direction. It does remind us of the greatness of God, but it, but it also reminds us of our littleness, how little we are. Worship is being still, the quieting the noise. Worship is waiting upon the Lord. It's, it's, it's taking time. It's not fast, 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 fast food, fast everything. Someone else said this, and I'll probably step on a few toes here today, but someone said sport is America's newest and fastest growing religion. Far out distancing whatever is in second place. And this is guy is a professor at, at uh, Penn State. He says it's not merely like a religion, nor is it a secular religion. It is a religion. When you think about it, you just kind of look at the picture in your mind of different stadiums where, you know, you've got 60,000, 70,000 people and they're all going insane and they're raising their hands and they're shouting. No idolatry in our society. Uh-uh. Pastor Chuck said back in 1984, this is 1984, he said, no little statues, but an idol in every room. You think of something rectangle? He says, you sit and you stare at it for hours on end. This is back in 1984. He said, you give it more time than anything else. You know what I'm talking about. But I think, it, you know, we've taken it since 1984. Things have changed dramatically, haven't they? I mean, we have screens of every different size, and we have them in our pockets. I put mine over there, so. <laughs> but we have them in our pockets and our handbags, wherever we keep them. And if we don't have it, like, we start to freak out. You know, the iPhone gives you these messages. Uh... Your screen time is up 12% this week. I just saw that on my thing. I'm going, oh. Say, well, that, I'm not really worshiping, you know, the screens or whatever, but, but is it taking the place away from God in our hearts? Because of the sheer amount of time, because of the sheer amount of attention that we give to these different things. Dear children, he says, keep yourself... From idolatry, from idols. Say, well, I wonder, does that happen to the, in the church at all? Can that happen at the church? 
No, that's only out in the world. It's in the church too, right? Health, wealth, and prosperity. The whole self-esteem thing that's built up, you know. It's crowded right into the church. Let's get a little bit more definition from Paul in Colossians chapter 5. It says, put to death. John says, you know, keep yourselves from. He says, put to death. That's kind of radical. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. One of the, you know, when you read the, the Bible from cover to fu- cover, you find out, you know, looking back in the Old Testament, the, the problem that, that we see there is, is they went after idols. They went after things other than God. And that's no different. And it's our, you know, sinful nature. He says the he says they're the whatever belongs to your earthly nature, that sinful fleshly nature. And and these things here are, are you know, uh, talking about the television set, the screen, that pretty much sums up, uh, you know, what's going to be on. Doesn't it? That, that's what you're going to, you're going to turn on your TV set and you're going to see these things. I, I, I heard someone on the radio say, you know, when they, when they portray, you know, a sexual relationships, it's like 90% are not in the context of a marriage. This is sexual immorality of all different types. The pornography is, is included in that, by the way. All these different, this is really when you turn on your TV set now, do I, I have a TV set. Do I have one in every room? I have one by my treadmill. I do. We have one in the living room. We have one in the dining room that we don't use very often. We have them pretty much in every room except the bathroom. Some of you go, oh, no, I, that one I got TV I got in my bathroom. I can't get away from it. Well, we, we talked about this, you know, he says, keep yourselves from idols, dear children. You know, he, he, it's like a term of endearment, you know, that he really cares about these people. He, he cares about, uh, about the people that he's writing to. And, and he, he thought this was very, very important that he would actually finish off this letter with that. Keep yourselves from idols. And, and the word means to guard yourself. Guard yourself. Keep watch. You and I make choices. That screen time that we have, the amount of TV that's on, the the type of programs that we watch, the things that we look at. He says, keep yourself. Paul says, put to death these things. I I know there are some people who who, who need to take their television set and throw it out into the street. Some people are even so bad that they really shouldn't even have a computer at all. Because of the proclivity or their, you know, their, their nature and, and, and how the, the things that are on there grab a hold of their lives and consume them and take a hold of their lives. You and I better be careful. If we are true believers and followers of Jesus, we better be careful. And we make choices. That's what he says. Keep yourselves. We make choices. Well, can I watch this? Should I watch this? Say, don't, don't talk about stuff like that. You know, I'm getting ready to watch, you know, the latest version of immorality something something. 
Is it helping your spiritual walk to, to, to watch garbage? No, it's not. It's, it's, it's only taking you away. And then what happens? You feel guilty. You feel shame. You feel these things. And, and it's not helping you to build a relationship with Jesus in any way, shape, or form. Interesting. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is a verse that most of us would know. It says this, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. You know the verse I'm talking about. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. He's going to provide a way out. The temptations that are all around us, he says, it's common. We all face it. The interesting thing is the very next word is that verse is this. Is this. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. That's the very next verse. These things that are the temptations that are all around us, that, you know, it's they're different forms of idolatry, the different things that that we would go after and put our hearts into and and minds into. Now, idolatry doesn't only cover, you know, the negative and sinful things. It it can be good things, too, right, that that we can make idols, right? Is that true? Good things, you know, some career that we have. Uh, you know, a, a goal that we have, a hobby that we have. You know, I like, I, I'm, I'm like getting into like recording songs. I got an iPad. I'm, I'm, but, but, you know, I can build this thing up so big in my mind and heart where it's like consuming. And my wife says, hello, where are you? Keep yourselves. Flee. Put to death. The next verse, it's not on the screen, but he says this, I speak to sensible people. (laughs) Judge for yourselves what I say. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. He's saying, listen, you're, you're sensible. You can make decisions. You need to make decisions. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul says this. He talks about the people there, and he and he says this about them. He says, You turned to God from idols to serve the living, the true and the living God. Isn't that what John has been talking about? The true and living God? Idols are not true, they're false. If they take that place, uh, whether they're good or bad, if they take that place, it's a false hope, it's a false God. It's it's not going to do anything for us. He says, you have turned. and, And can people see that in our lives? That we've turned from the idols of this world? Are we just like, well, yeah, we're just right in there. We're just right along with everybody else. And, and they can't, I've said this so many times, they can't tell any difference between us and everybody else. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he says, we know that an idol is nothing at all. It's empty. It's false. It's not true. It's not the true and living God. An idol is nothing. That verse in the middle, he says, we, we've turned to God from idols, so to do what? You turn from one thing to another to serve the true and living God. That's what God's called us to do in this life, to serve him. 
Now, uh, you know, I'm not sure, to be honest with you, where Bob Dylan is <clears throat> in his heart and mind about Jesus, but, but he wrote a song called You Gotta Serve Somebody. And, and, he, and you should listen to the words about it. He, he spells it out pretty well there. You gotta serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you gotta serve somebody. In other words, you, you are gonna serve somebody. It's not like, well, I'm not serving anybody or anything. No, you are. And again, it's, a, it's kind of a choice that we make from day to day. I want you to turn with me. We're going to go back to the Old Testament. Uh, Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Will you turn with me there, please? Exodus chapter 20. Who can tell me what's found in Exodus chapter 20? The Ten Commandments. First time. Thank you. You're thinking of second time. Uh, the Ten Commandments, and, and uh, I, think, I think the Ten Commandments are pretty important, right? I mean, isn't that where God, you know, sums up the whole, you know, life of man? Look at verse 1, chapter 20, he says, And God spoke all these words. He says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me or besides me. That's the first commandment that he, that he gives. No other gods that's what idols are. They're other gods. No other gods before me. No one else to take my place. And then the second one found in verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. That's pretty radical, isn't it? One verse that uh, we looked at earlier, it says for, for this, and I may not have actually read it. He says for, for uh, this is the reason that... <clears throat> Where is that now? Colossians chapter 3. I don't know if I had it on the screen or not, but he says these things are idolatry. He says, but because of these, the wrath of God is coming. This is in the New Testament. The wrath of God is coming because of idolatry. Here in the Old Testament, he's talking about you know, this as well, that, that there is fruit that comes out of it. And it affects future generations, whether for good or for bad. And I think that's absolutely true. The New Testament tells us whatever we sow, what? We will also reap. And, and uh, you know, if, if our lives are consumed by idols, that's going to affect the people around us. It's going to affect our children. It's going to affect our children's children. 
But if we're following after God and we're, we, we're loving Him and serving Him, that's going to affect our children for a longer period of time. You notice the difference there? One was three or four generations. The other one was a thousand generations. There's no comparison, in other words. He's a jealous God. He's not going to share His glory with anyone, with anything. Notice that word He says, anything. Not in the form of anything. In heaven above, earth below, waters, nowhere, no thing, nothing. So, so that pretty much covers it, doesn't it? Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. I like that quote. I'm still thinking about that. I speak to sensible people. Are we so unwise to believe that it's not us? That you and I can't be part of this? I don't think it's, do I have any idols in my life? It's more, what are the idols in my life? We have to ask ourselves that. What are? And I was, I was asking myself, I'm not going to tell them what mine are, but, but you can ask yourself, what are the idols in your life? What is it that consumes you? What is it that drives you? What is it that you, you know, put your heart and mind and, 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 and into? And what are you going to do about it? He says, keep yourself. Guard yourself. Pay attention to it. And if there are things you need to say, you know what? I'm just not going to do it anymore. I'm, I'm going to cut that out of my life, and, and, and I'm going to replace it with something like this. I remember, you know, hearing stories about, you know, surfers who, you know, they, they uh, surfing was their God. And they had to lay it down. They had to lay it down and, and, and just give it up for a period of time until they could get it into the right perspective. Now, surfing isn't a bad thing, is it? There's some things that we need to cut off and keep off, not for a period of time, but forever, that, that we, we need to take a stand and, and you know, and put a, a line in the sand, so to speak. So what a way to end the book of 1 John. Little children, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Got questions? I like that website. It says, resisting the worship of idols is a lifelong battle that is part of the Christian life. The things of this world will never fully satisfy the human heart. They were never meant to. The stuff of this world is not going to satisfy us. It's not supposed to. God is the one who will satisfy our hearts. Little children, dear children. I love that. That's what he says to us, a big caution sign. Beep, 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 watch out. We're going to have communion now. And I, I kind of see that as for, for us today, we're going to pray first, but then we're going to have some guys pass out the communion. It's kind of a refocus. And maybe you've already asked yourself that question. And, you know, what, what are the things, what are the idols in my life? But, but to have communion is to just put those things aside and to, to focus now looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our, our faith, and what he did, who for the joy set before him, what? 
He endured the cross, despising the shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we are going to kind of refocus. What is number one? What's number one in my life, inside my heart? What's number one? Let's pray together, shall we? Our great and awesome Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives and, 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 and even in this world, Lord. We know that you are still at work, though it seems so confusing. And there's so much going on that we do not understand. But you say to trust in you with all our hearts and, and lean not on our own understanding. In all our ways, acknowledge you and you will direct our paths. Father, we have, we have gone after so many things that just have consumed us, have taken up the bandwidth, as it were, in our hearts that leaves no room for you. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to, to refocus on you, to, to put our hearts back on you and, and kind of uh, maybe we've left behind our first love and, and we now love so many other things that you're kind of like on the shelf. You're, you're in the back somewhere. And Jesus, we thank you that you came, the Son of God, You gave your life for us that we might know you and know the Father. Is there anything greater than you? Is there anything greater than what you have done for us? Greater love is no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Father, we just take these moments now and, and kind of put our heart back upon you, upon what you did for us. Nothing else really matters. Nothing else really fulfills. Maybe there's some here who never surrendered, surrendered their lives to Jesus. Maybe today is a good day. Today is a day of salvation for you and you can open your life to Jesus right now and and you can partake in communion together with us as we, as we celebrate, as we remember the death of our Lord Jesus. And you can simply uh, call upon the name of the Lord today, right here, right now. And say, Jesus, I've been worshiping a lot of things, but now I come to you. And I pray that you would forgive me and come into my life and, and come into my heart today, right now. In Jesus' name. Let's have the guys bring the communion and uh, while they're passing it out, just take it few minutes to be quiet before him.
It's not all about the noise and the speed and the, what else? What, what was that other thing? Size. Thank you. <laughs> it's about being still and knowing that He is God. <laughs>